1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Got two holy mans on that. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's his shout material right there. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, there is always an escape route. Whether the enemy wants to try to lie and deceive you that there is not, there is a way out. God is faithful, and he's got a way, and he's got a, a design that he is going to do what he needs to do to make sure that you are not defeated by the enemy. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this chance, this privilege that we have here tonight to lift your name up and to open the word of God. And Lord, I pray for the next few moments that you would come into this place and you would literally take control that you would do, Lord, in our lives what we so desperately need. God, we need the supernatural in this room tonight. We need the miraculous. God, people are here and they need healing. They need deliverance. They need hope. And God, I pray tonight before we leave this place that we will be walking out with a sense of victory because we have come face to face with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your gifts. And we pray that the gifts of the Spirit would be in operation here tonight. God, I pray for the gift of tongues and interpretation. I pray for the gifts of prophecy. I pray for the gift of miracles. I pray for the gift of faith. I pray for the gift of healing. I pray for the gifts of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. God, speak to us, because it is in those times that your spirit speaks to us, Lord, that things happen that man cannot orchestrate and illustrate, but God, you are able to demonstrate who you are, and you are a supernatural God. Thank you, Lord, for this chance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I know if you were alive at 9-11-2001 that every one of us in this room know exactly where we were at, what we were doing, the moment that we turned the TV on and we saw those horrific images of planes flying into the World Trade Towers in New York City. And... As the reports came out of all the devastation that took place that day, I, I found an article a few days after that 
that really captured my attention in a way that I have never experienced. It was an article that has since been researched and verified by many organizations looking through video and pictures and documentation of those that were around the area. And I'm talking about at least 200 people that day were caught in the trade towers above where the planes came in. And so what literally took place was their way of escape was completely blocked. So literally at least 200 people came to a place that day that they got to the edge of these huge skyscrapers and they made a decision that I can only imagine was one of the scariest and most desperate places they had ever faced and the decision they came up with I would rather jump now knowing that in a few seconds I will die than stay here in this awful, burning, smoke-filled place. One of the most disturbing images of that day, out of all those, this captured me in such a way because I cannot imagine. Like, I'm, I'm scared of heights, okay? I, 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 you know, I don't want to get to the edge of too much, you know? But literally people came to that place in which they researched this and what they found is the height that they were jumping from would not allow them to lose consciousness. So it says that they were literally aware from the moment they jumped until just a few seconds later they would hit the ground their bodies unrecognizable at that point. And I got to thinking about this all these years later because I just, I've started thinking about all these scenarios that we see like every day in the news and our world, like just a, maybe a week or so ago about the Southwest jet that was flying from New York City to Dallas. And that... I don't know if you're like me, but I immediately think about Christian, our fellow church member here that is a Southwest Airline pilot, and I immediately like go onto his Facebook to make sure that he was not on that flight, to make sure he's okay. See, I'm someone that I fly almost weekly. I uh, January, I was on a flight from Chicago to Dallas headed there to speak, and they walked up to me in the middle of that flight, a flight attendant, and gave me a card that said, hey, congratulations, Mr. Rhodes, you've just flown your two millionth mile with United Airlines, and 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 so that's just with one airline, and so uh, pl- things about planes, I watch plane shows all the time, I DVR the ones about plane crashes, <laughs> and I don't understand why my wife doesn't want to come and hang out, 
It's good quality TV. Like, I want to watch that. I mean, really. I, I, I'm not scared. I'm not thinking about those things. But, but seriously, when you put yourself in a situation just like those people found a week ago where the tragedy of that, that one lady was killed because the engine blew right outside her window and the window was broken and sucked out. And so she, she was in that situation. But they began to interview other people that were on that flight last week where that lady died. And they talk about the, the craziness that was going on. I mean, all of the oxygen mask dropped. Isn't it all funny? Like, have you ever been on a flight where they do the safety briefing? And they said, if we depressurize and something happens, then the oxygen mask will automatically drop in front of you. And all you have to do is put it on your mouth and your nose and put the rubber band behind and breathe normally. <laughs> they tell you that. Every flight, get the oxygen mask on and breathe normally. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm like crashing 500 miles per hour going down toward the ground, I'm not breathing normally. I don't care if you've given me oxygen. I'm not breathing normally. Please don't tell me to breathe normally when I'm getting ready to crash and die and burn and all these things. And, and, and so it's, it's, but you get to these points where the people were being interviewed of this last week that were on that flight. And you, you, they begin to talk about, like, they think, this is it. This is it. There's no hope. And for those people there on 9-11 that day to realize that we live in a world and we live in a country that is blessed for a lot of reasons, but there is one big major blessing that we live as opposed to a lot of places in third world and poverty stricken countries is uh, America has figured out that if we're going to have public places, we're going to have buildings, we're going to have schools, we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of areas that we go into every day, then there has got to be a building code and there's got to be a fire code. A fire code is a good thing to a point. A fire code is there for our benefit, right? It's to protect us. Just like building codes are there to protect you, right? Aren't they? Building codes are good, right? Kind of like my house where they told me I needed a sump pump. It's code and a GFI outlet in the basement for the sump pump to plug into. And so when that trips and there's no electricity to your sump pump and your basement starts flooding, it's okay. There's a building code. Sorry that happened this week. Little, little raw still that I'm being told. Sorry, Mr. Rhodes. There's really no issue. There's no problem. We did it right. It's the building code. Well, thank Jesus, there's a building code. I was worried about all my stuff that was ruined and all the stuff I'm going to have to replace. And, oh, yeah, by the way, my homeowner's insurance is supposed to take care of those moments. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't have that clause. See, 
these, these are moments that, you know, we learn from. But in looking at the fire code, I, I want to try to provide the analogy tonight because I talk with people almost weekly as I travel and I see people uh, being interviewed in certain situations. And you know what? There's almost a sense of hopelessness. There's almost a sense of, of uh, overwhelming oppression and depression and, and, and an attack against us mentally and physically, psychologically and spiritually in the world today because we feel like that maybe all of the escape routes, all of the hope is being taken away. And, and just like if we were to truly understand what those people went through that day in that world trade tower tragedy in which people came to the point that they know the second that they jump that I will never see my wife again. I will never see my child again. I, I will not walk my daughter down the aisle one day as the father of the bride. I, I will never see my grandchildren. I will never hold my baby boy in my arms again. Whatever the case may be, they got to a place that they said, I'm going to jump, realizing that they would die because what they were presented with was a situation that not even the best fire marshals in the nation could ever envision and that is the fact that all escape routes would be blocked there would be no way out you see where the planes came in they took away all the fire escape exits and all of a sudden the firemen from below could not get to them and then they have helicopter pads at the top of the buildings that were so engulfed with smoke that they could not safely land and take people out of there. So literally, it got to a point that those people said, the only choice I have is if I'm going to stay here and die a horrible, painful, strung out death from smoke inhalation or actual fire, or I can just jump and it can be over I think they said in 3.4 seconds. You say, Ron, why are you being so graphic tonight? Why are you talking about something so intense? It's because all the time now I'm hearing people walk up to me and they tell me things that would blow your mind away because they're feeling hopeless. Their marriage is falling apart. Their finances are falling apart. The diagnosis from the doctor is overwhelming. The forecast of what your retirement portfolio is doing is not good. The, the job market is not good. So what is the code that God put in place? Because when you look at the fire code, there are some very cool things that they learned. And you know what? There's going to be situations in our lives that we have to understand as Christians, we got to be prepared to go through. Because as perfect as everything can be, and we've developed so many things 
the fire retardant, you know, materials, uh, uh, learning from past tragedies not to do. Even though we are so good at preventing things today, they still understood that there still can be tragedies. There still can be things happen. So what do we need to put in place? And as Christians, sometimes we don't like to talk about those tough times in our lives. We don't want to talk about the fact that we deal with temptations. All of us. Can I, can I clear up something right here, too? Because it was right there in that scripture I just read a few moments ago. Let me tell you what the strategy of the enemy is to do. His first strategy is to convince you you are the worst person ever on the face of the planet. You are the worst person because nobody else has ever thought that or done that or acted upon that. You are a horrible, bad, bad person that have went back to the same sin Fallen into the same temptation, the same addiction over and over and over again. And yet the enemy has convinced you that God doesn't even want to look at you, doesn't want to listen to you because you are one bad person. Man, you have done things that nobody else, you are one horrific, bad, sinful person. But you know what? God put right here part of his fire code to get you out of those impossible situations it says right there that no temptation has ex seized you except what is common to man. In other words, as much as you want to think that you are the worst person and that you are isolated in your sin and temptation and bondage, let me tell you, the Bible just said there's millions other just like you. So don't allow the enemy to isolate you, to make you think that there's no hope for you because nobody else has ever given in to the things that you've given in. But the reality is it is common. It is common to man, and God understood that. He also understood that he is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Remember that? Most famous story is children and, and these three young men there in Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, we find the account in which these three young men came face to face with their impossible moment. It says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. It's funny. When they responded like that, the enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar, was so mad. He's like, I'm going to show these guys. I'm going to crank up the furnace. Did you notice that? Did you ever notice that? How many times? Seven times. Hmm. God's perfect number. <laughs> you chose. And all that did was unlock a combination to say it's going to be like a waterfall of refreshing cool water when you step it in that furnace. It's not going to burn you. Do you know why? 
is because we all go through those impossible moments in our life. And let me tell you, it seems impossible when you're being thrown into a fiery furnace that has just killed the guards that were doing this. And yet, what did God show? God showed that, yes, there will be times you're thrown in a furnace. But don't you worry one thing about that. Not one hair will be singed. In fact, you will walk out of that furnace and you won't even smell like smoke. What is the fire code in America? What do they tell us about fire? What have we learned about fires? You know what? Most people that die in fires, it's not because of the flames. It's because of the smoke. Smoke gets to you way before flames do. So what is the fire code? Because when God began to lay this out, it was just like, hallelujah, man. This fire code lines up with God's code. On how we are to get out of those impossible situations. The reality is, statistics tell me there's a whole lot of impossible situations in this room tonight. There are people here, you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know what you're going to do. You're not, you don't know how to deal with, with the problems with your children, with your spouse, with your job, with your physical health, with your spiritual health. Maybe you're being bombarded in other ways. Maybe it's an addiction that just seems to always come back and destroy you and defeat you, but the reality is, as God says, even when you're at those moments, that you've got to realize, what does the fire code say? What did they teach us when we were little children in school, when the fire alarm would go off? What would they tell us to do? What was the first thing they told us to do when the smoke alarm went off and we started seeing smoke? What did it say? Get down on your knees. The first thing that we should do at those most impossible moments in which the smoke of temptation and bondage and overwhelming attack of the enemy, the very first thing we need to do, fall on our knees. Pray. You know what they said? They said the best air in a smoke-filled room in the middle of a fire. The best air is when you get down on your knees. You know what is America? We need to get on our knees again. You know what our children need to see? They need to see parents getting on their knees again. You know what spouses need to see? Us getting on our knees again. You know what will clear up a lot of arguments? You know what will clear up a lot of division? You know what will clear up a lot of emotional turmoil in your house, in your home? Is that when people begin to see you're on your knees more than you're on the computer, more than you're watching the TV, more than you're out doing things that are distracting and pulling you down. But may they understand that when you're going through the challenges of life, that there is one consistent in your life, and that is I find time to pray. I find time to get into that air in which God is speaking into me because he said there's always a way out. There's always a way out. And the out is never suicide. The, the out is never give up. The out is never an affair.
What else did they tell us about Barbie? You know what has to be in our schools and in public places? There's a lot of confusion in a fire, right? Electricity goes out. Smoke fills everything. You know what's required? They said, not only do you get down on your knees, but then in order to know where to crawl and go, look for a lighted exit sign. Supposed to have lighted exit signs with battery power that kicks in when there's no electricity. You know why God has an incredible fire coating effect for you and I? Then in those possible moments that it seems so overwhelming, God's got a way out. And if only I could walk up to each and every one of you right now and just give you a big hug and encourage you and say anything to you. Because the reality is, is I know what it's like. I know what it's like to realize that there are people that walk into a service. Just like happened when I was first starting out as an evangelist, literally a lady and her husband was in service. And two and a half hours later, she stuck a gun to her head and pulled the trigger and killed herself. Within a matter of two and a half hours of being in a church service on a Sunday morning at an Assembly of God church in Texas. So the reality is, is we can't play games anymore. This can't be just let's get together and have a rah-rah moment. We must provide a code for people to understand that the word of God says there's a way out. In other words, there is a lighted exit sign. And it is the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of God. It is the loving hands extended of a church that loves you. It is pastors. It is missionaries. It is Christian brothers and sisters. You, you know what I find so many times is people just, be, they remain isolated in their pain. Don't you wish that we could really be honest with one another? Say, you know what, this is what I'm dealing with. And I just need somebody to not judge me today. I don't need anybody to give me one, two, three step. What I need is someone just to say, let me just let me just sit here with you and cry with you and pray with you because the last thing that that God ever wants you to ever believe is that you are alone. I'll never forget a young lady at a at a youth camp. A young lady at a youth camp had been convinced there's no way out. I'm jumping. So the camp we were at was out in the state of Washington in an old state park that used to be a fort. It was on the Puget Sound. Huge cliffs that were at least a hundred feet high and at the bottom of the cliff was the water from the ocean and huge rocks. So at 2.30 in the morning she set her phone to go off as an alarm. She was going to sneak out 
and she was going to go jump. She was at the best place that she could ever be because she was surrounded with Christians and she was surrounded by the presence of God because the presence of God says, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is not willing that anyone perish. He's not willing. He doesn't want your marriage to fail. He doesn't want your children to run away from God. He doesn't want you to give up on God. He doesn't want you to run away from your calling and your ministry. What he wants you to know is that there is hope and there is a way out. And if God has to make sure that your alarm clock malfunctions so that you don't wake up at 2.30 in the morning, so the next morning you can wake up and realize there is a God that loves you, and the answer is not to jump. Because when you realize that, then you begin to tell those friends around you, and then they begin to tell the leaders. And then that night, we get around a young lady that was supposed to have already killed herself that previous night. And then we get to see God move in her life and radically save her and give her hope and give her courage because God always has a parachute. There is no place and there is no amount of distance that you can run away from God. I'm here to tell you tonight, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how dark you are. I don't care how much the enemy has convinced you and lied to you that you have done something that is so horrific that God wants you to jump. That is not the case. And let me tell you, even sometimes we will go through those moments of fire. But what does God say? Even at a moment where the fire blocks our exit, God says, if you got to go through the fire, I'll be with you. Just like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may have to go through the flames, but God's going to be on the inside with you to make sure that is not what defeats you. Come on, church, tonight. God's got a way out. You will not be defeated by what has been plaguing you. That is a prophetic word from God that he is speaking right now. You will not be defeated with what you walked in here tonight carrying such a heavy burden upon you. Because God made sure that part of your fire code was going to be in effect. And he would leave Pastor Aaron to decide last year, I'm going to have a saturate weekend on this weekend, this specific weekend at this specific moment. Because God wanted to make sure that someone on a Saturday night would come to a house of God and be joined together with a lot of other people that love and care about them. And you would know that just like that young lady had her alarm clock malfunction so that you could come to a place that God could light an exit sign in front of you and say, you know what? There's hope. There are times in our lives that we must go through that we will never understand. There are going to be moments in our lives that we have got to get an understanding of what God is doing. And the point that was so well illustrated. It was about two weeks ago. And my wife and I uh, got on to 283. We were driving from Mount Joy to Lancaster to go to the hospital to be with Chris and Brittany. And on the way to the hospital, we were behind an SUV that immediately I mentioned to Heather, wow, that's a lot of smoke coming out of that car. 
um, I'm like, I just had to have my emissions test done on my car. There's no way that passed. <laughs> like, there ain't any mosquitoes within a five-mile radius of that car. I'm, like, needing to turn my lights on to get through the smoke. Okay, maybe that was a little evangelistic. We got to mix the car. It was so bad that we recognized it's not coming from the exhaust. In fact, my wife and I both looked over and like, do you realize how bad your car is smoking? Because it's not right. It's like something's not right. We're smelling it. And we kept on going. We got in front of them. And at the precise moment, listen, church, at the precise moment, if we would have been five seconds earlier or five seconds later, we would not have been at the precise moment that God needed us to be. Because when we passed them and then I got over in the, the slow lane, I looked back in my rearview mirror and at that precise moment, flames started shooting out from the engine compartment underneath that SUV onto the ground. And it was so uh, shocking to me to see that, that I immediately said something to Heather, and she literally turns around and sees the flames as well. Now, this is what's so interesting about this moment. At that precise moment, their car, like, started shutting down. So they had to get off. Well, I immediately do what anybody would do if you saw flames coming from out somebody's car. I immediately pulled over, slammed on my brakes in the shoulder, put the hazards on, got my phone, started scrambling to call 911, and I hop out of the car, and I go running back toward them, because they're stopped now. And I'm like, get out of the car. Now, I know that's a little crazy for those people. They're like, what's up with this idiot? Like, what is he doing? I mean, come on. Two, it was two ladies. We, I mean, some guy gets out of his car, starts running towards you. And you have no idea who this guy is and starts saying, get out of the car, get out of the car. Are you getting out of the car? No, you're calling 911 too. <laughs> but I'm calling for the fire department and they're going to be calling for the cops. <laughs> so the one, the passenger gets out. She starts coming and I'm like, get her out of the car because the driver was still in the car. I said, there's flames. Your, your car's on fire. There was an urgency in my heart at that moment. Not one other car stopped. Not one. Those two ladies, they said we're late got to go pick up our daughter at school. Can you take us? Can you just get us as close as we can? 
So we ended up taking them to their house so they could get another car. You know what they said? They said, wow, we were the only ones. Everybody else, I got someplace to go. I got someplace to go. And you know what? If anybody had a purpose and a vision that day of where we needed to be, with Crips and Brittany at the hospital. But God reminded me of something that moment. That as busy as we can be as the body of Christ and doing church and doing all that we do in our crazy busy lives, God reminded me that day is every day whether it's at school, whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's in our family, whether it's friends, whether it's even at church, may we not forget that God needs us to all be part of God's fire department, that we are looking for people that are showing signs. I'm not doing well. Because there's way too many people in our world that are left burning in their cars and nobody stopped to help. And part of God's fire code is for all of us. You know what? God's sensitive. He is. I mean, look at Daniel. I mean... He was thrown into a lion's den. So in other words, there will be times that, yeah, it seems a little impossible. It does. I mean, you're thrown in with the lion's den, not because they're nice little kitties that you're going to go over and pet and have a little quality time. But the reality is, God will make sure. That instead of being on a gluten-free diet, he was on a Daniel-free diet that day. See, sometimes we think that the specifics of our life don't matter. But I'm here to tell you that this is so important that you hear. Listen to me. Because <coughs> there are some things in your life that we need to let go. Because if there's smoke, there's fire. And fire destroys. Church, the one of the most incredible, amazing, life-giving scriptures is what I read to out of 1 Corinthians. Is there is always a way of escape. There's always a way out. God has a way out. And we may not understand it. And we may not see it. But we got to find a way to get closer to God. And the way we get closer to God is that we get to those places that even when temptation comes in, the areas that we struggle in, and even when we are overwhelmed with life attacking us, that we get to that place that we know no matter what, now's not a time to quit. Now's not a time to stop going to church. 
Isn't it ironic that the number one strategy of the enemy against Christians is when we mess up, we feel guilty and condemned, so we stay away from church. But in reality, it should be the opposite. In reality, that's the time that we need relationship and we need interaction and we need the encouragement the most. Come on, everybody, stand with me if you would, please. Father, tonight I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that we can be in a place and we can be at a moment in our lives that we understand and recognize that there is an escape route and it's not an escape route to just run away, but it's reality of running into the arms of Jesus. And, and Lord, I know that the enemy consistently tries to condemn us and judge us and to destroy us. I know that there are seasons in our life. There are moments in our time that we seem so overwhelmed that we don't even know what we're going to do. There's more questions than answers. There's more bills than provision. There's more chaos than peace. God, tonight, even throughout this message, you've been lighting up exit signs for people sitting here because I've been watching the tears flow. I've been seeing the reactions of someone driving in their car of life and there's smoke and there's flames and all they need is that one simple loving moment of someone jumping out of their life and saying you are important to me and you're important to God and you're important to the church and you're important to your family and you're important to your friends and you're important to your spouse and you're important to your parents and you're important and you're important and you're needed and you're valued and you're loved and you are embraced and God right now is placing a parachute of the Holy Spirit upon your life that God wants to convince you tonight this is not a moment and a season to jump and quit and give up and to run. It is a moment to allow God to embrace you. Right now is that moment. With every head bowed, this is a personal moment, but you would just be right now at that place where you would say, Ron, this message was for me. It's as simple as that. This is the message that God was speaking into my life that I needed for where I'm at. I'm overwhelmed. I'm being attacked. I'm being bombarded by the enemy in every way. All sides. I am worn down. I am broken. I am hurting. I am tired. And I need God right now in his infinite love and mercy to reach into my life. I need to feel his power. I need to feel his touch. This message was for me, Ron. Would you just pray for me? If that's you, just raise your up your hand right now and say, yes, that's me. Yes, that's me. 
Several hands are going up all over this room. Come on, right now. This is your moment. This is why we had this moment. This is why we have this service. It's because God wants you to know that you are valued and loved. If you got your hand raised, I want you to come stand here at this altar right now. Quickly, come on. This is your moment. Come on, we're going we're gonna to meet you here right now. And this is that moment. Come on, all these hands that were raised. Come on, this is your moment. Come on, come on. This is your moment. You gotta, you gotta give God a chance right now. Come on, all of you right now. This is important. It's life and death. It's literally the moment that God is able to do something so supernatural and exceeding in your life. Come on, this is that moment that God is able to do what you so desperately need Him to do. some of you, you're tired, you're worn down. But I feel so very strongly that God's saying, I'm giving you a way out. I'm going to provide what you need to overcome this incredibly challenging time in your life, but you got to trust me and you got to give me a chance. Come on, God's reaching out in his infinite love and mercy and he's trying to help you and encourage you and just give God a chance. Would you join us? If you haven't come down yet and you know this, this, this moment is for you, come on, let us pray with you. Let us help you. Let us stand with you. Let us get around you. Let us surround you with love and prayer and encouragement. Come on right now. I just feel an urgency in my spirit that there's somebody that hasn't come down yet and, and God's wanting to do something supernatural. This is the moment you've been praying for and God's hand delivering it right to you. And this is your chance and God wants to do something special. Would you come right now?